welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, you are worthy of all of our worship, all of our praise, as they sing about you in heaven even now. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and by your will they were created and exist. And Lord, as that song sang, we're going to sing to you in the middle of the storm, louder and louder, you're going to hear our praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. And we pray specifically for our sisters and brothers in the persecuted church in Sri Lanka this morning and elsewhere. We pray that you would today, Resurrection Sunday, be giving them the hope that we're going to speak about this morning, hope in the resurrection And Jesus, as we gather this morning, we gather to celebrate the fact that death is defeated and you are alive. King Jesus, you reign even now in heaven, not in spirit only, the way you've always existed, but now in a real human body, the body that you were born into 2,024 years ago in Bethlehem, the body you lived in here, never sinning, the body they beat and bloodied and crucified, the body that you died in, that was buried but did not stay dead, but arose three days later. That resurrected body that you showed off to your disciples, we know that you have ascended in and reigned and are seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. From there you will come to judge the living and the dead. Spirit, you alone are God. You alone can open the eyes of the spiritually blind and give new birth to the spiritually dead. We pray, Lord, that you would make these dry bones live. These dry bones that come in, believers even, that come in feeling dry. Those who are truly dry bones and and have no life in you, we pray that you would give life. You alone, O Lord, can change the heart. You alone can order the unruly wills that we have and our affections. Only you can take sinful people and cause them to love you. Father, we grant that your people would love the things you love today. And desire the things that you promise. Oh Lord, be the desire of every nation and the joy of every longing heart. Start with us and radiate from here with the good news of the kingdom of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen. Well, welcome again to Covenant Grace. Um, If you're a visitor, you came at a really good time because uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. And um, you can see, if you didn't have a Bible, I got the whole of 1 Corinthians 15 printed for you here. And I was just thinking about the persecuted church, and I was thinking about the fact that some people only have tiny little scraps of Scripture. And I was thinking, if I could just have one tiny little scrap of Scripture that I would hide somewhere in my house so that the persecutors couldn't take it, I would want this page, right? You think about, like, in some persecuted countries, they take a Bible and they'll tear all the pages out, and they'll hand one to each member, and they'll trade off. This is the one I would want, and this is the one I would not trade back. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. We're going to be looking at the good news of the resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead. And we're going to look at our own resurrection, and we're going to see how the two are linked. Because Easter is the good news that Jesus, 1986 years ago, defeated death. He cured death. He walked out of that tomb alive. And guys, only Jesus promises resurrection. I think a lot of us aren't clear on this. But Jesus, the good news of the resurrection was unique in the first century when this letter was written, and it's still unique today. In the first century Roman world, there were two main views on death, and they weren't resurrection. The first one was kind of the Epicurean belief, which is that there's no life after death. 
The soul is a part of the material body. When the material body dies, the soul dies. You're done. There's no existence after. That was the Epicurean belief. And if you look at verse 32, you'll see what their response to that belief was. Their response was this. If, there is, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Okay? And that view is alive today as well. The other view was the Platonist view, which was that the soul lives on after death, freed from the body. I want you to notice two things about those beliefs. Neither of those beliefs are a defeat of death. Okay? Dying and being extinct is not a defeat of death. And living on just as a soul is not a defeat of death. If your body doesn't come back to life, death wins. Right? The other thing I want you to notice about those two beliefs is they're still the most common today. If you talk to people out on the street and you ask them what happens with, after death, they'll either say there's no life after death, so that somehow people have to talk themselves into that it's okay that they're just here to eat and drink and buy a few nice things, go on some trips and die, right? That's the Epicurean belief, still alive today. Or people believe that the soul lives on after death, but not the body. Many religions and even many non-religious people believe in a life after death that's a disembodied life where you don't have a resurrected body. That's not Christianity, guys. That's the American folk religion. When you hear things in funerals, you know, they're in a better place or they're still with us in our hearts or things like that. That was not the hope of the first century. The hope of the first century is resurrection. And many Christians have forgotten this. In a survey of Christians who believe in the resurrection, Two-thirds of them believe, didn't believe that they would have a body after they were resurrected. Okay, so I don't know how that works. If you don't get a body, the resurrection didn't work. Okay, just so you know. If you didn't get a body, you didn't get what you came for. Jesus promised something entirely different and better than either extinction after you die or some sort of ghostly existence after you die. Jesus promised the defeat of death, that your death would be undone, and that you would live an uninterrupted physical life in a renewed physical world. So it works like this. A believer who dies, their spirit does go to be with the Lord um, for a time, a time of rest with the Lord. That We call that, in the- theological terms, the intermediate heaven. We call it that because that's not the ultimate heaven. It's the intermediate heaven where your spirit is with the Lord. Better to be with the Lord and absent from the body. But that's not the final hope, right? The final hope is that Jesus returns. He resurrects our bodies. He brings us with uh, with him, the souls of the dead, the bodies are raised, spirit and body recombined, the body's made new. That's the defeat of death, guys. That's the defeat of death. We don't get that until Christ returns. Going to heaven when you die is not a defeat of death. Death wins if your body stays dead. Resurrection's a defeat of death. And like I said, a lot of Christians have forgotten this, or maybe never even really realized it. And so I really want to highlight it this morning that Jesus promised to undo your death. You guys realize that up until about 200 years ago, on the gravestones of believers, it said a Latin word, resurgum. If you go to old cemeteries, you'll see resurgum. You know what it means? I shall rise again. None of this, you know, I'm off to a better place, or, you know, I'm still with you in my heart. No, it's the defiance of I will rise again. You realize that believers used to be buried facing the east, and they were buried facing the east because Jesus said, Just as lightning comes from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And they wanted, when they emerged from the dirt in resurrected bodies, to be looking at Jesus. They didn't want to have their back to him. That's how much they believed in it, the way that they were resurrected. Okay, so, you know, how different that is from the way we talk. A better place with the Lord. That's all true, but he promised something more, resurrection. And he promises that our new physical bodies will somehow be made out of our old ones. This is the interesting thing. Our bodies will be wonderfully upgraded and made new, right? 
but they'll be made out of these bodies. And Paul talks about this, and he gives this illustration as a seed. Just like a seed becomes a tree, and that seed gets consumed and, and built into the tree that comes, our, res- our bodies now will be, be seeds for our resurrected body. Look at verse 36. What you sow, he's talking about your body being put in the grave, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that will be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Paul here is comparing our bodies to seeds. And I've said this before, but the older you get, the more you look like a seed. Okay? You look more wrinkly and dried up and stuff like that. And I want to just say to you Californians, embrace it. You are becoming a resurrection seed. This is not a bad thing. Your body will be planted at the ground as a resurrection seed to spring up one day in your resurrected body when he returns. And, and it, we're, these bodies are like seeds and, and in the same way that a seed is an unexpected thing. I mean, if you really sit back and think about it, seeds are weird. They have to die. They have to get kind of dry and dead. And they're put in the ground. It doesn't seem like anything's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, boom, something springs up alive and fruitful. And our resurrections will also be strange and wonderful like a seed. Um, There's this this mystery of of death before life. Paul is telling us that our bodies are seeds planted in the ground and then gloriously going to spring up. And when they spring up, it's going to utilize the seed, our body, and we're going to leave an empty tomb just like Jesus. Very important that you realize this. You're going to leave an empty tomb just like Jesus. What will our bodies be like? Um, when they're made new. He talks about it. Look at verse 42. He says, what is sown, your body, the seed, what is sown in the ground, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. That word perishable there means corruptible, kind of like rusting. We all know as you get older and stuff, you realize your body rusts. It corrodes. You get pains and aches in your, in your back and in your joints. We rust. But one day, our rusted old bodies will be raised unaging, unaching, undying. We're going to be raised imperishable. Sound good? Um, verse 43 says, what is sown in dishonor. And I was thinking about that. You know, when, when a body's buried in the ground, there's something dishonorable about that. You know, that shouldn't be happening, right? He says, what is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. This, this has to do with what your physical appearance is going to be like. You're going to be glorious. Guys, it's no secret that Southern Californians are vain. Okay, all of us have taken that in. I think I've told you this, guys, before, but um, I worked in a tanning salon when I was in high school. And so it turns out that Californians are so vain that in the 80s, you could actually sell sunlight in the summer in San Diego. Okay, you could do that. And we're no different today. We've kind of given up the tanning salons. But guys, anyone who takes 100 selfies in a poppy field and then runs them through 20 filters, is seeking glory, right? That's the, when you saw Lake Street, you saw people seeking glory. Guys, but aging takes away our glory, doesn't it? How many of you guys think back to what you look like or what you felt like before, and the glory's gone, man. I mean, you guys should have seen me in the 90s. Long hair, ponytail, and I don't regret it, Okay. <laughs> And Doc Martens, and we had a, Tasha and I had a Wolfsburg edition, Jetta, 1999. That thing was awesome. We're driving around in the Bay Area, listening to Smashing Pumpkins. Glorious. Okay? If you could go back, that's when you go back. Peak glory, right? Guys, 
what we will be raised in glory. We'll be, and the glory we're going to have is we're going to, for the first time, be reflecting the glory of God the way we were designed to be. We were designed to be like these little mirrors that God's glory reflects down. It reflects out to other people. We were meant to reflect God's glory in such a way that people would look at our lives and they go, man, God must be good. If this person loves people like that, if this person's gracious like that, just imagine what God must be like. But what do we do? We say, how can there be a good God when there's so much evil in the world? Right? We fail to be that image bearer, but when we're raised in glory, we're going to reflect his glory the way we're designed to be. Verse 43, what is sown in weakness is raised in power. This one speaks to me a lot. We all experience weakness, physical weakness, mental weakness, emotional, psychological weaknesses, and what we will be raised in power. I love what Johnny Erickson Tata said. She, when she was 17, she, she misjudged the depth in the Chesapeake Bay. She, she dove in, she broke her neck, and she was paralyzed, she still is, from the neck down since, since then. She's lived 50 years as a quadriplegic, paralyzed. And this is what she said about her hope in the resurrection. She said this, Somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body is the seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am to become all the more glorious. When you contrast the atrophied, useless legs I have now with the splendorous, resurrected legs I will receive. Guys, we will be sown in weakness and raised in power. And then he says in verse 44, what is sown natural body will be raised a spiritual body. Now, this is one place where people get hung up. They go, okay, Paul's talking about spiritual body. He must mean that our bodies aren't going to be physical, okay? But the Greek here doesn't mean that we're going to have, when it says spiritual body, it doesn't mean a non-physical body. The word here, the Greek word here, is not about what something's made of, but what something's empowered by, okay? So a natural body is a body that's empowered by just merely human, merely creaturely abilities. You guys live that way? We've all lived that way, lived by the power of the flesh. A spiritual body, Paul means a physical body that is 100% led by the Spirit, Spiritual body is a, a body that's given full strength by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you've tasted a bit of what it's like to live in the power of the Spirit and what it's like to live in the power of the natural, right? And what he's saying here is that when we're resurrected, we will no longer be people that struggle to live by the power of the Spirit. We will be people that are raised in a way that we will always follow him perfectly. The Spirit empowering us 100%. A body like Jesus is physical but fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then he sums it up in verse 49. Look what he says. He says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, he's talking about Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Bottom line, you've lived in a body with Adam as a prototype. You will live in a body that has Jesus as the prototype. And guys, isn't that what our hearts long for? Isn't that what all human beings long for? We don't want death followed by extinction, no existence. And we also don't really want death followed by some ghostly spiritual existence, right? You long for your death to be defeated. You long for your death to be undone. You long to live again in uninterrupted, flourishing physical bodies even better than now. Don't you? Every one of us do. You don't have to be a Christian to have that desire, right? We all want that. You might be saying this morning, well, yeah, of course I want that, but wishing doesn't make it so. You know, how can I know for sure? That sounds like an amazing promise. How can I know for sure that it happen, will happen? How can I know it'll be true? How can I know that my death will be undone? And you can know for sure. You know why? Somebody already did it. Okay, we actually have a forerunner that did it, and it worked. Okay, somebody already pulled this off. Jesus developed a cure for death. 
About a month ago, there was a London uh, physician who announced that a second man had been cured of HIV. Huge news, big deal, gigantic, right? What if there was a lethal disease that all of us had and that somewhere in a lab, somewhere discovered, discovered a cure for it and would give it to anyone? That's exactly what happened, right? That's the, exactly the news we have. Easter is about the fact that death, a lethal disease we all have, has been conquered. Easter is the news that a first man has been permanently cured of death. It already happened. Somebody's been permanently cured of death. The lab it happened in was a tomb in Jerusalem. The experiment worked, and he is now handing out that cure to other people. You want your death undone. The good news is it's been done. Jesus has defeated death. It's a historical fact. You might ask, well, how do we know for sure that Jesus came back from the dead on that Easter morning out of that tomb? How can we know? And we know a couple things from history. We know that on April 5th, 33 AD, Jesus' tomb was empty. It's a historical fact. His tomb was empty. But we also, it's not just that, we also know that from April 5th, 33 AD, for 40 days, he was constantly being cited, touched, eaten with, people hanging out with him, and stuff like that. Those are the two historical facts we have from the documents we have, right? We know that there was an empty tomb and witnesses. It's really important that because a lot of times we talk about Easter, we talk about the empty tomb. It isn't just the empty tomb. It was also seen for 40 days. People saw him physically, ate with him alive. Not his spirit, his body, right? And so from that data, we conclude that Jesus really did come back from the dead, that death was undone, that there's a cure for death. And I know that's a bold conclusion, but that's what we have to conclude from the data, from the historical data. And there's several ways people have doubted this. There's several ways I've doubted this. And I want to just run through a few of those and see if maybe one of them you've thought. Some people say, well, what if Jesus didn't really die on the cross? He just looked dead and was later revived. Okay, you get the idea? They didn't fully kill him. They put him in the tomb. He has some time to recover, comes out, and, and acts alive. A couple of things you could say to that. Roman soldiers knew how to kill people. Okay, they were professional killers, okay? They speared him in the side, right? There's, there's really no way that the swoon theory, as they call it, that he kind of swooned. If, if, when you heard about what Kenny talked about on Friday, you know, there's whippings and scourgings and beatings and, and nails and a spear. Guys, if Jesus somehow survived all that, there is no way three days later he's skipping through town telling people that he's defeated death. He would look like death. Okay? I mean, they'd be like, oh, Lord of life, you know? No. They'd be like, I see you, you know? No. That's not what happened. Well, you could say, well, maybe the witnesses just went to the wrong tomb or someone stole the body. That'd be possible, except we don't just have an empty tomb. We have 40 days of lots of people claiming that they interacted with him, that they ate with him, that they touched him. You might say, well, perhaps overcome with grief, these disciples, they were so sad about Jesus, they so badly wanted him to be raised from the dead that they, that they just thought they did. They, had, they imagined he did. They had hallucinations or visions. And probably lots of people in this room have had that kind of experience with a, um, a, a dead loved one that later you thought you saw him, you thought you talked to him, you thought you know, they spoke to you. But guys, we have to realize that the disciples were not expecting Jesus to be raised from the dead. They weren't hoping really bad to be raised from the dead. It wasn't even on their radar. And they knew that stuff like visions and hallucinations happened too. It's not like we just discovered that. People back then knew that those things happened too. Do you remember Thomas? He said, unless I stick my hand in those holes and, and touch him, I won't believe, right? They were just as skeptical as you are, right? Just because they lived a long time ago. Was, they touched him, they handled him, and they also met him in group, big groups of people. If you look at verse 6, it says that there were 500 brothers that saw him at one time. And he says, some of those people are still alive. You could ask them. People can have hallucinations. 
500 people don't have the same hallucination synchronized together, okay? That doesn't happen, okay? Um, so what about this? Well, you know, this is, this is my favorite. I felt this way, I'll just admit. You know, people back then, they were just simpler, and they just believed in stuff like resurrections, and they didn't demand proof like we do, okay? They're just simple people, easy to trick, right? But guys, they didn't just believe in resurrections, actually. The Jews, some of them, believed in one big resurrection of all believers at the end, but they didn't believe in individual resurrections like this. And the Greeks hated the idea of physical resurrection. They thought the body was something corrupt that we need to escape from. That's why they believe that you just exist as a soul later. They felt like, man, being in, having a resurrected body is not good news, right? And to suggest, guys, that somehow that people lived a long time ago are somehow less intelligent than us, right, or more gullible than us, is pretty arrogant, right? Could you own that? Like, you probably thought that. People 2,000 years ago, you know, they're like real easy to trick. I could bring some firecrackers or something and make them believe anything, right? It's pretty arrogant. It's what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, which is that people that live later think they're smarter than people that lived before. Um, I would actually make the argument that we might be getting dumber. <laughs> Maybe. But it's the argument of, oh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Seneca, morons. We know so much more now with our technology. Guys, you guys realize that resurrection was just as unbelievable then as it is now, just for different reasons. You have scientific objections. They had philosophical ones. Still, they wanted proof. They didn't just believe in things like that. They were actually, if you read the accounts, very skeptical. Um, you might say, well, maybe the disciples just made the whole thing up and intentionally deceived everyone. Um, the thing you got to realize about that, guys, though, is that almost all the apostles died in very brutal ways because they refused to recant their testimony. It wasn't like, you know, today where, you know, you might get a show on TBN and, and people are flocking to you and, you know, they're donating things online. No, 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 no. You, you put this story out, you get killed. You get killed in brutal ways. I, I love what uh, Blaise Pascal said. He said, I believe those witnesses, they get their throats cut, right? Christianity was brutally brutally persecuted for the first couple hundred years. And um, last Wednesday, um, we, were in a, we had a class at my house on New Testament survey that Casey was leading, and um, we were just talking about how unlikely it was for Christianity to even get started. I mean, here you have a, 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 a man that claims to be the Messiah. Tons of people did that. I mean, lists and lists of people in the first century claiming to be the Messiah. And then he gets killed, crucified by Rome. Guess what? Tons of people got that too. Right? And then what happened was their movements would die out. They would either find another guy to lead it or the movement would fizzle. That didn't happen with Christianity. It builds. It grows. And it's not because you know, Jews were expecting a Messiah to die on the cross. They weren't. They didn't like the idea. And the church, like I said, was faced with hundreds of years of persecution. What made this movement even take off after their leaders brutally killed should be the end of the story, right? It's something happened after Jesus' death to prove he was really the Messiah. And what that thing was is Jesus showed up alive. He showed that he had defeated death. And then the apostles spread the good news of the cure of death. And they're doing it. This is one of the things we don't realize about the chronology. They start that preaching seven weeks after the resurrection in the same town it happened. They start doing it 10 days after Jesus ascended. It isn't like years and years later and nobody can really know what happened. This is seven weeks later in the same town, right? And people are believing the testimony of these people that say that his, his uh, dead body was raised. And guys, my goal here was not to prove to you scientifically that dead people are raised. My goal was to show you that historically one man was raised. 
He was raised, and it's just the beginning, right? This, the, the empty tomb and the eyewitnesses, guys, are, the, are as well established as historical events could be expected to be. You think, well, I want more evidence. Like, look at all the documents you have. You have four different biographies on Jesus. You have multiple other documents written by Paul and Peter and people like that. Like, there aren't things of that time period that are better documented than the resurrection. It checks out. I mean, however strange it it sounds, it checks out. Jesus defeated death. And so what happened? Something like this. Friday, crucified after he'd been scourged and beaten. He's he's pierced in the side. Um, He dies. He's put in a tomb that's sealed. There's guards over that tomb. And he's a dead body, like a normal dead body. Don't glamorize it. Don't think that he was a glowing dead body. He's a regular dead body, right? Jesus had no heartbeat. He was not breathing. He was cold. He was pale. Rigor mortis set in, just like any other body. It's a regular body. His eyes were sunken. The blood kind of settled in his body with gravity. Middle of Saturday night, still dead. Still a dead body. Nothing had happened. And then early sometime Sunday morning, his heart begins to beat again. His blood begins to swirl through his veins again. His skin actually becomes warm again. The color returns to his skin again. And then he, he gasps a first breath that he hasn't breathed since Friday because he was dead. He starts to blink. Maybe he looks around. He goes, okay, it worked, right? <laughs> he sits up. He wrestles the linens off himself. He stands up. He stretches, probably yawns, right? And then it... <laughs> He folds the linens and puts them there. I love that part. Very neat. <laughs> folds the linens, puts that, and then walks out and shows himself for the next 40 days. He talks with people. He eats with them. He visits people unexpectedly. He surprises them. He makes them cry with happy tears. And then 40 days after, he leaves the world physically in his ascension, and the apostles spread this news. Jesus developed a cure for death. And you know what? If you're in Christ, you're next. You're next. You're going next right? This resurrection is happening to you next. And um, Jesus, and Paul says in here that Jesus defeated death and that it's only the beginning. Look at verse 20. But in Christ, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Listen to this. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul calls them first fruits because it's the beginning of a crop, right? Jesus is the first, you know, like the first grain or the first apple or the first pear or whatever of a crop, right? He is the beginning of a crop of resurrection. You're coming next. Jesus is called that because he's the first one to do it, and he's the prototype. So if you wonder, like, am I going to have a physical body? Did Jesus? He's the prototype. Am I going to leave an empty tomb? Jesus is the prototype, right? And how do we get this cure for death? Look at verse 21. It says, For as by one man came death, by a man comes also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Um, We have to first recognize why death is here. Death, guys, comes from sin. Sin is rebellion against God. When the first human being rejected the love of his creator and sinned, death entered the world. It says in verse 21 that by one man, death came into the world. You might say, well, that doesn't sound fair. Adam did it, not me. Read Genesis 3 and see if it sounds just like your life, okay? We've all walked away from a good and loving God. We've all become sinners. We've all rebelled against his love, and death is a consequence of that sin. We also have to recognize that physical death is not the worst kind of death, Physical death is a graphic image of something worse, something the Bible calls the second death, or hell. 
There is a second death, and physical death, as bad as it is, is a sign of a death that is far worse. The punishment that follows physical death for those who are in Christ. If you look at verse uh, 56, he talks about the sting of death is sin. There is a sting to death for those who aren't in Christ, and it's hell. Hell is a never-ending sting of death that our sins deserve. And Jesus, this is the good news, became a real man. He suffered both the first and the second death for us, both death and hell. On the cross, Jesus took both death and the stinger out of death for you. Isn't that awesome? Have you ever, have you ever heard of love like that? I mean, you hear people say stuff like, you know, I would go through hell and back for you. Right? You hear people say that. And many people have endured great hardships and pains for people they love. But only Jesus, guys, only Jesus has truly gone through hell and back for you. This is the love of God for you this morning. Um, Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself. As Kenny was describing the wrath of God poured out on Jesus on Friday and, and highlighting the fact that Jesus gave himself for you. And Jesus says in John, he goes, no one takes my life from me. You might think, oh, a martyr, oh, poor Jesus, oh, they tricked him, oh, they caught him, he couldn't get away. Jesus goes, no one takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down and, and to bring it up again. This authority I've gotten from my father, he laid down his life for you. That's the good news of Easter, is that the first and second death have been undone for you. Jesus paid your sin debt on the cross. And what's really cool is the resurrection, one of its functions, is heaven answering back to say that the check has cleared. Jesus says, paid in full on the cross, and the resurrection is heaven calling back, paid in full, the check is cleared, right? It's proof that his, he is the true Savior. And if you take Jesus as your Messiah this morning, that's what you receive. You receive a cure from death and a cure for the second death. That's what a Messiah is. He's a, he's a Savior King. And if you trust him as your Savior King, you'll be obsessed with him. You'll be obsessed with him like other people are in this room. That's what happened to the first Christians. They were willing to do anything to spread the news about Jesus. They didn't fear Rome's lions or flames. Why? Death was defeated, right? Death was defeated. The king was alive. They didn't live just like their neighbors. Everything changed. Guys, that's the normal response to Jesus. You may have known people that have had an abnormal response to Jesus. They say, yeah, he's my savior and king, but their life goes on as usual. That's not the normal response. The normal response is what we see in Scripture. Anything less than what we see there is, shows that you just don't get it yet, right? If we would really get the fact that Jesus has the only cure for death and the second death, and then he gives it away freely, guys, then the typical middle-class, business-as-usual life is no way to respond, it has to rock you. And there's a preview. I just want to show you this. There's a preview of what's to come from now. Take a look at verse 23. He says, But each in his order, Christ the firstfruits, so Christ the first one to be resurrected, then at his coming, those belong to Christ, they're going to be resurrected, we're going to be resurrected, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. And it says that Christ must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. Then the last enemy will be destroyed, which is death. Um, there, there's a few things you can expect when Jesus returns. You can expect that we will be resurrected, having our new glorious bodies. You can expect that the final judgment occurs. You can expect that Christ will bodily reign over this world that his kingdom will fully come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Doesn't that sound awesome? That sounds awesome. Heaven and earth, it says in the end of the Bible, will become one place as um, his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. The natural world will also be renewed. All evil and suffering will be removed. And as this text says, the last enemy death will be defeated for good. That's good news, guys. That's something to get you out of, out of bed in the morning. That's something to endure any hardship you're having in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, at your work, in your health. I mean, that is the news, is that we will rise again. This world will rise again. And we often think of the resurrection of Jesus as kind of a weird event in our, in our history. And it is an unusual event in our history. The resurrection is, is only a strange event because we live in a world of sin and death where wonderful things like that don't happen, right? But I'll tell you what, the resurrection of Jesus is a very normal thing in the world to come. In fact, it's the first event of the new creation. It's the first event of the new world breaking into the old world. What you're seeing is the new creation to come invading the old world of sin and death. It's the beginning of a new creation invasion, which will be completed when Jesus returns. And so I want to just close by reading the last seven verses. I won't comment on them, but I want you to look at them, okay? Verse 51 through 58. Take a look at it. We'll close on this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Therefore, beloved brothers and sisters, that's you guys, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He is risen. And we shall rise again. Let's pray. Father, Rock us with that news. Make us live from this day forward as people of the resurrection. People who won't stay dead. People over whom the second death has no power. People without fear. People who don't, just can't wait to tell others that your son Jesus has defeated death and sin and hell. Father, we pray, make that happen in us, even as we worship and take the Lord's Supper together. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord's Supper is a physical reminder of both a physical past and a physical future. Okay? The Lord's Supper is a reminder of a physical past in which God the Son himself became a real physical man, lived a perfect physical life, and then died a brutal physical death. But that's not all. In that death, he was taking the stinger out of death. He was taking the stinger of hell out of death for you. He was taking the stinger. And with this bread, which represents his body, we remember his crucified body broken for us. And with this cup, we remember his blood shed that wipes away our sins. So it's a reminder of a physical past. It's also the reminder of a physical future. A physical future when Jesus will return here physically to raise our physical bodies and make renew this physical world. 
A place in which we will eat and drink with happy tears, just like the disciples did on Easter Day. That's what's coming for us. If you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior King, I invite you to come forward um, during the next couple songs and take the bread and the cup. The bread's gluten-free, so you don't need to worry about that. You can take it individually. You can take it with friends. You can take it as a family, however you'd like to do it. But this is a sign, guys, only for those who are trusting in Jesus as their Savior King, which sounds exclusive, and it is, but it's also very inclusive because you could receive him today. If you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior, know Know for certain that you've just been given the best news that will ever be given anywhere. Okay? I don't know if you have some better news you'd like to share. Come on forward. You've just been given the best news in the world, that Jesus has died for your sins, that he will forgive your sins, that he will raise you, that he'll make the world new. Um, And so you've been given the best news ever. And I want you to know, one, you've been given the best news ever, and that it's for you. Because you might say, well, not me. I'm not the religious type. That's fine. I'm not either. Okay? (laughs) Or they might, you might say, you know, oh, it's not for me. I've got these things that I deal with, or my family wouldn't be into it. Or you got all these different things, right, that are on the list. Of, but, guys, this is for you. Now, I'll prove it to you. There's, there's two qualifications. Are you a sinner? Then you're qualified to take Christ. Do you want Christ as your cure for death and hell? Then you're qualified to take it. There's nothing else needed. This is a free gift. We are welcome, just as you're welcome to come up here and take these for free, there's no box to put money in as you take it. He is free to take this morning, and we would just ask you, take Christ today. This could be the beginning of a whole new life for you, a life that will never end. Let's pray one more time before we take the elements. Father, you have fed us with the food of this holy word, and we pray now that you would feed us with the holy food from your table. We thank you that you are such a good God, so good to us, Lord. We pray that you would make our hearts love you in response. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.